So I am not a real detail-oriented person. I'm more of a gist person. So the idea of examining my personal history, um, when I know the gist and I know some specifics about the history of the U.S. and colonization, but examining my personal part of it, it just does not appeal to me. But I did interview my mom and my dad, and I'll be able to explore a little bit of how our particular family, white family, benefited. Benefited even sounds like an awful word to use, but benefited and benefits still from um, the atrocities that have been um, have been put upon, done to uh, indigenous peoples and people of colors and the systems and structures that are put in place to continue um, inequity. And so I'll start with my mom's interview and give you a little backstory about the things that I found out about that. And though none of my family really cares about our personal history, um, there is some. There is some, and we will look at it, and we will begin that right now. Oh, that's fine. Tell me things about our family. Tell you things about our family. Yeah. You said something about... Don't freak out now that the computer's on. You were talking about it the other night. Montana. Oh. Well, your great-grandpa Mac, Roy McLean, grew up on the family farm. McLean Family Farm in Kalispell, Montana. Okay. Um, he left for World War One. He was a doughboy. A doughboy? He was a doughboy. He was an army army soldier. Okay. Um, and he was he was gassed in that war. And it caused some problems for him, but he he was fine. Um, he came back, and at some point, he met Great Grandma Mac, who was Helen Bowman at the time, and <clears throat> she was working in in um, San Francisco uh, in a photography studio, and I don't know exactly how it it took place, but. They met at a Valentine's Day dance. I don't know if it was in Montana or in California. Then um, I can't ask them anymore. Um, but they married not long after that. And Grandma wanted to, my Grandma, wanted to be married before she was 30 years old. And she made it by three days. And a year later, she had my mom. 
and seven, seven years later, I think it was, she had a second daughter, the whack job Auntie Evie. <laughs> um, the puppy killer. The puppy killer. <laughs> Golden retriever puppy and killer. Naturally, and naturally, so naturally, I gets my gun. Naturally, I gets my gun. My grandpa worked for the city of Bellingham during the hard times. The farm got. Yes. I saw. Thank you. Um. During the hard times, um, the farm. I'm not sure why they left the farm. I think it had to do with, you know, it was a tough, tough time to make a living. Or he wanted to strike out on his own with his family. Because mm -hmm. mom was born in uh, Helena, Montana, so they were still on the farm then. And then they moved to Bellingham. Grandpa went to work for the, for the city because he knew that that was going to be unless the bottom fell out of everything. This was during the Depression. Unless the bottom fell out of everything, um, that would be a steady job. Mm -hmm. So he worked for the streets department of the city of Bellingham. And then at some point, I don't know why or when, he went to work at the pulp mill. And he, he took me to work with him one day. I didn't, he wasn't working, but he went down. He took me down to show me where he worked. It was the coolest thing. It was this cone stank thing that smelled awful but it was really exciting there was all this wood around and these cool looking is it still the same thing is it no it's thing? gone oh it's gone there used to be a bunch of them in bellingham mm. but they're gone in fact there was one out at lake uh Whatcom at, at uh, the park there um <clears throat> but anyway he retired he he used to ride the bus because he couldn't drive. Grandma took his privileges away because he was a terrible driver and he always turned their vehicle into a, a, a beat-up truck. <laughs> so, so she took it away. He took the seats out of it, and so everybody was having to sit on crates. So she, she said they didn't need a car anymore, so they took the city bus everywhere. And um, she walked to town. It was cool because in those days... When I was a kid, you dressed up to go to town, even Bellingham. And she would, she always wore a dress. She never wore pants, ever. And she would get on a nice dress. And she put on gloves and her hat. And always had a long hat pin so that if when she was walking home at night, and she had. So my grandmother was born in 1928 in Kalispell, Montana. Um, so my great grandfather had been around Kalispell for longer than that. Um, I think his whole life, maybe. Who knows? I don't care. But I can tell you that Kalispell is named after the Pendurel Indians, whose name for themselves they pronounce Kalispe, um, which then was named Kalispell, the town. Um, Kalispell is home to and near the Flathead Indian Reservation, which is home to the Salish, the Pendirel, and the Kootenai tribes. Um, the Hellgate Treaty in 1855 created this, the Flathead Indian Reservation, and it's, it was assigned 1.3 million acres to be set apart 
for the exclusive use and benefit of said confederated tribes. But the Flathead Allotment Act in 1904 was a, a unilateral congressional decision forcibly broke up the collective ownership of the land and assigned individualized allotments to each native person and then declared much of the land surplus. And then in 1910, they opened this land up to homesteaders and non-Indians quickly gained the most fertile ground and the Kootenai and Confederated Salish became minorities on their own reservation. The next text um, has been provided by the Salish Pendurel and Culture Committee. The Salish and Pendurel tell of having lived in what is now Montana from the time when coyotes killed off the, the when coyote killed off Nalisquelics, the monsters or literally people eaters. The tribe's oral histories tell that the Salish and Pendurel were placed here in their Aboriginal homelands. Their beginning in history is this in this place is a story of genesis, not of migration. The late Clarence Woodcock told this beginning. Our story begins when the creator put the animal people on this earth. He sent Coyote ahead as this world was full of evils and not yet fit for mankind. Coyote came with his brother Fox to this big island, as the elders called this land, to free it of these evils. They were responsible for creating many geographical formations and providing good and special skills and knowledge for man to use. Coyote, however, left many faults, such as greed, jealousy, hunger, envy, and many other imperfections that we know of today. Many of the coyote stories contain uncanny descriptions of the geological events and natural history of the last ice age. The extension of the glaciers down what is now Flathead Lake, the flooding of western Montana beneath a great lake, the final retreat of the bitter cold weather as the ice age came to an end, the disappearance of large animals like giant beaver and their replacement by the present-day smaller versions of these creatures. Tribal and non-Indian archaeologists have documented sites reflecting a continuous occupancy as far back as 12,600 years ago, shortly after the final retreat of the glaciers. Some of the stories even suggest that the ancestors were already here when the Ice Age began, some 40,000 years ago. Dad, tell me about our family. Well, I don't know much. Uh, my, my, I don't really go much back about a generation, and then I'm lost. I don't have it. Um, I know. I was this assignment. I was like, I don't. None of it has been ever important to any. Like, if it was important, I guess you'd know it because we would have told the story. Yeah. I don't have the stories. My, my, my parents. Came from Southern California, and uh, and their parents um, were kind of that. So the old, the old, uh, the old Southern California generation. I think. I mean, there were obviously there were people before them, but mm -hmm. but they they have been there a long time. They they went to California in the in the early early part of the the century, um, at least the first half. You know, I mean, the first quarter. Uh, and my my uh, grandma and grandpa uh, Ralph uh, lived in Alta Loma, California, which is east of L.A. And uh, and they they came from I thought they came from the Dust Bowl and, and uh, fled the 
the dust storms. But I, I think I'm wrong. There, <laughs> made a good story. But, <laughs> um, and my my grandmother taught school, and my my uh, grandfather was a mechanic. Had his shop and his and a, and a gas pump out front where you, you you pumped it up into the glass, the ten gallons up into the glass reservoir, and then you know drained it into That's so cool. you know back and forth pump. Um, and a couple miles away, my my other grandparents had had. Uh, well, first of all, the, the my mom was born there in, in Alta Loma in the little house. A little, it became a hobby room, but it was a garage, uh, and, and they lived in it while they built their house. And uh, and the shop was next door, and it was a it was a it was a two bedroom bungalow and and uh, that they built and and uh, a couple of acres there they gardened and and uh, had a, a pretty conservative little little house and, and a couple of miles away on Archibald Avenue was uh, the Beatty Ranch, which had a had a B and a T and a brand. Uh, I don't know how they branded their chickens. They had chickens and oranges and, and one horse, Chiquita the horse. Um, but uh, they had they had an orange grove and, and I don't know how many chickens they had. But um, And uh, and so my, my grandfather there, Poppy and, and known, my grandfather was Poppy and, and, and Bobo. Uh, um, uh, Scottish. He was, he was a... Thing. Hmm? They're Scottish. Yeah, yes. yeah, and he, he was a, he was a, a, a an orange, a citrus farmer, but they call it the ranch, and it was a big house, a great house, and at some point he went to south of the border to Mexico to, to, uh, to do a citrus uh, investment, you know, and get something started there, and I understand he, he had to flee the country. Uh, with with Pancho Villa hot on their heels, um, and I, I don't know much about that story, but it sounds like a good one. Uh, um, and they had come from uh, somehow when we left Scotland, um, and and my folks went back to Scotland and traced down the BT the BT um, clan Tartan and uh, coat of arms with the with the uh, the saying not. Through force, but by art or through art. I love um, that. Makes me feel yeah, good about our yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they, when they, they had so they came to White Plains, New York. I, I think uh, for to begin with, and then, then um, the family came across the country uh, to to California, and then the oldest, my oldest aunt, their oldest daughter. Uh, was uh, went back to the East Coast, uh, to White Plains, and then ended up in New Jersey. But um, uh, but who's who ended up in White Plains and then the house and then Mark. They, so they, their family was really spread out. They had they had a daughter, uh, and then five years later another daughter, and then ten years later they had my dad, and five years after that they had had Jan. So they were they were. Uh, but they were they were early California. They were early, like. So Rancho Cucamonga in California um, was originally indigenous land, and then what was it by about twelve hundred A.D. 
the Cucamonga Native Americans um, were in a village around uh, a place called Red Hill, and they were part of the Gabrielino culture. Um, and it's said that anthropologists believe that um, the Gabrielinos were one of the largest concentrations of indigenous peoples in North America. Um, and Spain came and claimed it, and then Mexico won some land back, um, moving forward, and then in 1846, American troops came and annexed it, and then California became a state in 1850. So, there's that. Um, many Mexican families, uh, that were then, that are indigenous, but then they're Mexican, because that's what happened. Um, they ended up being laborers and in the vineyards um, and locating, like, in small camps away from other centers of, like, of like white settlements, like, away from that. Um, but they did create a community of their own um, that had restaurants and churches and dance halls and theaters and um so that's great for that but so Rancho Cucamonga came out of um that that's some history about Rancho Cucamonga um so there you go and then Poppy and Bobble my great-great-grandparents, my great-grand, my great-great-grandparents, I guess, on my dad's side, Scottish, they immigrated to the United States, who knows, at some point, Scots, Scottish people were immigrating to the United States, um, we don't know about my grandparents or great-great-grandparents, um, but, uh, the first Scots came in the 18th century, and it was because of there was the clan system were was being disrupted um and so rents were going up and farmers were not able to live so they decided to come to america and they settled along the like eastern shore most a lot of new jersey and um virginia and then, um, when they first arrived, they were looked down upon, uh, but then quickly assimilated, I think, into, like, they were not white, I think, like, as, as the Irish were also not deemed white, but then they, they have since, and very quickly, I think, assimilated into white culture, um, which, um, yeah. I mean, all land is tribal land, um, but, not but, and, um, from the beginning, at least both my grandparents, and surely my great-great-grandparents, and all the rest of my lineage, wherever they come from, um, obviously, 
um, uninhabited land that was taken forcibly from indigenous people. And um, all the rest of the awful things. And now I have intergenerational wealth through the through that I was able to buy a house because my parents were able to save and weren't redlined and weren't discriminated against and weren't put on reservations and um yeah fucking America not even America just everywhere uh anyway so that's my podcast that's that's what I can find. <laughs>